0: setting up systems and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. Hello,
1: and welcome to this episode of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. Today, I'm gonna introduce you to Becky MacArthur. She has the distinction of being our very first Canadian private practitioner that I've had on the show. And Becky has been in private practice for one year, and
2: she's gonna share the insights that she's had in the time being, how she got started, and what advice she has for total beginners. Stay tuned. My name is Jenna Castro-Casbon. I am part of a group of private practitioners who have taken client care into our own hands. We are skilled clinicians who pride ourselves on providing high quality care to our clients and their families. We are fighting against productivity requirements, administrative red tape, and unnecessary restrictions. We started our own private practices to take control of our professional and personal lives, of our schedules, of our incomes, of our future. We work hard for our clients, but on our terms. We believe in helping others, but also helping ourselves. We are not interested in competing with each other because we hope we'll all make it. We are successful private practitioners, and these are our stories. All
1: right. So before we get started, could you please share your name, your location, and the name
3: of your private practice? So my name is Becky MacArthur. I live in Waterloo, Ontario, up in Canada. I actually see clients in a more rural area called Norfolk County, which is about an hour outside of where I live. And my private practice is called We Communicate.
1: So I'm so excited to have you on for a couple reasons. One, you're our very first Canadian private practitioner that we've had on the show. Woohoo. Go Canada, love that. And then also I follow you on Instagram. And so I feel like I see you all the time on Instagram and we'll, we'll talk about Instagram later, but drop your handle real quick so people know how to follow you.
3: Amazing, my handle is we underscore communicate.
1: Fantastic. Go follow Becky on Instagram and actually shoot her a DM after you've listened to this episode just to say hi and tell her you listened to the episode and what parts you liked or whatever. But let's talk about the beginning of your career as an SLP. So Tell us about how you got started in the profession.
3: So I actually graduated in 2015, so not a super long time ago. When I first graduated, I was actually dead set on hospitals. I wanted to do dysphagia like 100% of the time. And I think I applied to like 10 or more jobs, and I never even got an interview. So I was super bummed at that point, and actually my graduating class got a Email from a private practitioner who ran a private practice saying, like, I had her new grads. If anybody wants to interview with me, like I'd be really interested. And it was like fate. As soon as I met her, it was like perfection. Right away, I knew that then private practice would kind of be like my career. I really looked up to her. She was a wonderful leader. So I worked in that job for a couple of years. That was doing in-home care. And then I moved, my boyfriend and I at the time, we moved cities. So I actually got a job with another private practice and that was doing in-clinic care. And so I kind of wanted to be able to see the difference because even that early on, I kind of thought about opening up my own private practice and thought I kind of want to see the differences and how two different businesses are run. And then last February or at the beginning of last year, so at the beginning of 2019 was when I really started seriously thinking about opening my own private practice. I love it.
1: That's great that you got to see how two different companies were run. And I'm sure that you were sort of thinking in your head, how did you want to do things when you got the chance? Yeah. So the second private practice you worked for, at some part you started thinking about starting your own. What kind of made you really think about going that direction?
3: It was a lot of factors. So I actually wrote down at the beginning of 2019, I had never really done like a year review. A lot of people on Instagram do it. I was really like motivated by what a lot of people were doing on Instagram. So I was like, what the heck? I'm going to do it. And I was really surprised that I wrote down in 2020, I'm going to start a private practice. So I kind of even surprised myself. I am very lucky. I have lots of business owners in my family. So I was one of those people who actually was not nervous to open my own business. More so for me, I just wanted to make sure I had the clinical knowledge and skills to really provide high quality service and service my clients really well. So yeah, it was sort of a lot of different factors. I felt ready to leave my last job at the time, but just ready to kind of start my own private practice. And I also chose to service where I grew up. So I live in a relatively big city and I grew up about an hour and a half from Waterloo and there are a lot less services there. So within Waterloo being a bigger city, like you can Google private practice SLPs and there's lots of options for people here, which is amazing. They're very well-serviced. And so once I knew I wanted to service my childhood hometown area, then I was just really motivated to do it because I had some family friends who felt like they couldn't find services for themselves. And I feel like I was ready to leave my job, but I was also like pulled into really wanting to start a business.
1: Well, I love too, how you were really thinking about how to serve your community and the community that you were familiar with and that you also felt passionately about giving back to and helping those people get the services that weren't available. So when you first started out, what did your private practice
3: look like in the early days? So just myself. So between the span of, I think it was early February of 2019, maybe even mid January, I'd done a couple things, but in mid February is when I really started pushing to like get things organized, got my website going and March 14th of 2019, which is ironic because it's like a year almost to the date and things are so different now. But back then it really only took me about, luckily I had so much information from you. So it didn't take that long to get things organized. So I just started offering my services. I do in-home care and I was very lucky from seeing a well-run business with home care. in my first job, I kind of organized my clients and schedule them based on geography. So the area that I service is probably like 40 minutes east, west and 40 minutes north, south. So it's a pretty big area and I was not going to be spending four hours driving between clients all day. So I sort of started taking on clients across two days a week based on geography. And yeah, I service mostly pediatric clients. So I do speech sound disorders, pretty much all early preschool, pretty much everything in there. And then literacy as well, which is sort of a service that sets me apart in Canada, at least it's not as common for speech pathologists to service literacy. So it just started with just me. It's still just me right now, but doing in-home care and yeah, scheduling based on geography, which is, I would say a very important thing to do if you're driving around.
1: Listeners, there are people who I've interviewed on the podcast and plenty of people who I haven't interviewed who do service more rural areas. And that's one of the things that you have to think about. If you're feeling this calling to serve people who are in communities that don't have as many services, you're going to burn yourself out. If you don't think about yourself in the equation of scheduling how you're going to serve these people. So whether it's doing things on certain days of the week, like Becky's describing or utilizing telepractice or any kind of things to make it as easy for you to service as many people as possible in a wide geographic area. I like what you said too about differentiating yourself in terms of literacy that maybe not as many Canadian SLPs are treating literacy and whatnot. How do people find
3: out about you? That's a great question. I would say, and I actually, one of the peaks of all this extra time I've had in the last couple months, I've finally been able to start. I moved over to an electronic medical record system, which is awesome. And I've finally been able to actually look at that data. An overwhelming amount of my caseload is through word of mouth. And I would say of my clients who are kind of my ideal client, like truly my ideal client, almost all of them are word of mouth.
1: Well, and that's the thing too, is when you service people well, and especially if it's a smaller community, even though it's more widespread or whatever, when you serve people well, they they can't wait to tell their friends about you. And a lot of times people are so connected on Facebook and other parent communities and whatnot, that when people have a good experience with someone and someone else is looking for services... It's really nice to be able to to share someone good with people, right mm-hmm. so fantastic that you're getting that word of mouth recognition and then also referrals. What are some other things that you are working on either in terms of marketing or in terms one thing I don't know as much about is like payment how did how did this payment work in Canada?
3: yeah, that's a great question. so I actually up to recently, so everything like <laughs> the recent state of the world has rocked my entire private practice. But up until a couple of weeks ago, if you would have asked me, I actually took around a mobile payment terminal. So similar to like what you see at a restaurant, just much smaller. It was only about the size of like my iPhone. So my clients pay out of pocket at the end of every session. And then if they choose to, or if they have access to extended health benefits, they would then use the invoices that I provide to them. So I I really try to, because I'm a traveling clinician and when you're seeing multiple clients in a day, I really try to avoid taking cash and I don't take checks because that's just too much work, (laughs) but because just the security of it, I'm in my car by myself all day. And if you see even five or six clients, so I use a mobile payment terminal. Now I've moved over to a whole different system, but when I was actually on the road, that's what worked really well for me. So now I guess, so up until just a couple of years ago, speech pathologists in Ontario could not direct bill to insurance companies that like wasn't even set up. Now that has been set up, but I've heard through the grapevine that there's a lot of issues being calmed out right now. So in order to keep costs down for my clients, I've chosen to not offer that at this point in time that could change in the future. But right now I only direct bill.
1: Nice. Great. What are, and I don't know if you know the answer to this, but what are some other differences between SLPs or private practitioners? If you, if you know this, like between the US and Canada?
3: Oh, really good question. I would say the number one biggest thing is the whole billing numbers thing. (laughs) So in like, I'm a part of a lot of speech pathology groups on Facebook and things like that. And I don't even understand what those, I mean, I kind of get what the those numbers are for, but even public like the procedure codes and the CPT. Yeah. And like ICD right. or something like there's all these, all this terminology that I don't know. So in Canada, we do not have to do that. That's different with our system. I mean, I don't think there's a ton of differences. There are some small differences as far as terminology. I think in the States, can you guys use the term diagnose? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we cannot use that terminology in Canada. So there are some small differences, but I would say quite similar. And many of my colleagues, like through the year, just like people I've worked with, trained in the states. So like Buffalo is very common for people to go down and train there. So I would say not not too much more similarities than differences for sure. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I
1: just every now and then I hear one one thing I heard a while ago was about testimonials. That apparently maybe in Canada you you guys are not allowed to use testimonials on like websites. That is correct.
3: I'm not sure if that is Canada-wide, but I I actually was just recently doing some research into it. And so that is a Ontario, from what I kind of was understanding, it's an Ontario, more like allied health thing. So it's not even just speech pathology, but our college does dictate that we cannot have testimonials. It's very frustrating. Which
1: is a shame because they're really helpful for, for marketing.
3: Right. And the whole, so the premise or the kind of support behind it is you can't ever... There's no factual basis. So you could be lying, which is like true, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so could everything else on my website. Like, right. <laughs> I have tons of experience in literacy. Like, maybe I don't. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I totally get it. Yeah.
1: yeah. Every now and then, because when I've made some resources for people to help with marketing and whenever I say anything about testimonials, there's at least one person from Canada who comments, <laughs> like, we're not allowed to use testimonials. And I'm like, okay, sorry. Then don't use okay. them, don't violate yeah. any of your rules up there. <laughs> but it sounds yeah. like even without testimonials, you're able to be very successful in your private practice. I love that you said that you've been doing this for about a year, right? You're, you've just passed yep. your year anniversary. So, yep. what are some things that you've learned over the last year that you could share with the listeners?
3: Oh, so much. And I think reflecting back on how much I've learned just makes me realize that you definitely need to have, like, as you love to say, and I love this terms, like you have to have your ducks in a row for sure, but you don't need to know everything. Like you learn so much as you go. And I, I mean, especially now, like having to pivot my business through this pandemic, it just makes you realize your capacity for learning is huge. And if you feel ready to jump, jump, like get your ducks in a row and then get going. Cause there's people out there that need you. And, oh, I've just learned so much. I would say the number one thing, because I've worked at private practices before, I was quite used to being pretty independent, even in a private practice that you're in a clinic, everybody has their own schedules. I mean, it's hard to eat lunch with other people. So I was used to being pretty independent, but working On my own, doing home care and working from home by myself was like a next level. And the support system of people around me has been what has kept me going. There have been some speech pathologists that before I opened my private practice, I was kind of acquaintances with. And then through connecting with them about my private practice and them being so gracious with their advice and information, those acquaintances and colleagues have become friendships that I really rely on. So, just building a team of people. Like, even if your private practice is just you, like, there are so many people who will support you around you, and making sure that those people are really part of your team. Like, even though you're by yourself, like, build a team so that you aren't alone. I would say that's that's the number one.
1: Yeah, I say that all the time, right? Private practice doesn't have to be lonely, right? Yes, it, it can be lonely because most people are sole owners of their business. And some people have employees or contractors and some people don't, right? And then the second part of that is sometimes people get nervous about being friends with other perceived competitors. How's that going to go? But I'm like a, one of these abundance mindset people that really yes. feel like there's enough clients to go around and those kind of relationships can lead to referral. Maybe yeah. that other perceived competitor like doesn't want anything to do with literacy right so they're so happy when they get a literacy client they're gonna send them right to you becky and Mm -hmm. you know maybe you get a hearing loss kit or something and you're like i don't know anything about that so Mm -hmm. here you go janet (laughs) (laughs) yeah maybe you know lots about hearing loss i don't (laughs) no i do not
3: (laughs) not at all and completely like i have always been someone like that. And I think owning my own private practice, especially in a city where there's really only two other private practice clinicians, speech pathologists, who we have an incredible relationship with. They're amazing. But I had actually an old school friend of mine from my master's reach out to me being like, Hey, so you open a private practice sort of thinking about it for myself, but don't worry. Like I'm, I would be seeing clients like at least an hour away. And I was like, the first thing I said, in my message was like, I don't care if you service like the same city. Like I'm also a huge proponent on like, even if they are within my wheelhouse, not every client is the best fit for me, me as a person. And so I love that there's other people who do the same service, the same areas as me, because if someone has an assessment with me and just feels like I'm not the right fit, no hard feelings, I'm glad you have someone else. And being able to exactly like grow your team, you have more people that are supporting you. So yeah.
1: Well, just nice to have options, right? It's good for your clients to have options. It's good for you to have options in terms of who you service and where and what days and what mm-hmm. you know what kinds of diagnoses or maybe you can't say diagnoses or whatever, but what kinds of labels. What, what kind of labels, what things
3: <laughs> other synonyms for diagnoses. <laughs> right. Exactly.
1: <laughs> but I think that's that's wonderful. And I'm just so excited for you and I love I love your energy. I love that you've been able to take two experiences at prior private practices and figure out what's gonna work best for you. So thinking about the next year, and for people listening, we're really kind of at the beginning of this coronavirus pandemic. So it's it's just the beginning of April 2020. So we're figu- we have no idea what the future holds. But in a in a world where this would hopefully wrap up. Soonish. What does the future hold for you in your private practice?
3: So ironically, my number one business goal this year, and I haven't even said it out loud that to that many people, was actually to hire someone. So that could definitely change. I'm just rolling with the punches. I started providing telepractice, never ever thought I would do that. So I think a lot is up in the air for my business, but I am trying to not make it a negative thing. I'm trying to just see what opportunities lie. I mean I hope to be there. I think that hopefully maybe this wraps up in a couple months and and kind of my business gets back to its original plan maybe with some added bells and whistles that I didn't know I would ever do, but I would love to have a team of people. Like I I love Supporting people with information and knowledge. Like, that is something I'm really passionate about. I always joke, like, if someone comes for, to a question with me, like, hey, I have this client, like, I'm not sure. I'm like, here's four research articles. Here's something that I wrote. Like, I, it's just like crazy. I love spreading information because I think, just like it, it is for clinicians, like, just how it is for our parents when we give them information, it's very empowering. It's the same thing. So I would love to have a team. At some point, I would love to transition back to in-home services. I miss my kids. I always call them my kids. I don't have any kids yet. But oh my gosh, I'm, I really miss my family. So transitioning back, I see about 18 to 22 clients. And I actually had just hit that this year. That's kind of my sweet spot where I want to stay. So hopefully getting kind of back on track with all those kiddos. I'm seeing about half of them via telepractice right now. But I also may continue some telepractice. I I mentioned earlier in our conversation that I provide services for structured literacy intervention, which unfortunately our school systems here in Ontario, really on a wide scale spread, do not use evidence-based practice to teach children how to read in the school systems. And so that leads to similar, very similar in the States, huge numbers of children who really fail at reading and writing in school. So that's an area I'm super passionate about and really love. And so telepractice could be a way that I reach more kids that I'm just, I, I can't see 20 kids after school every day. <laughs> it's just not possible. <laughs> so yeah, I had kind of my first client reach out to me about possibly setting something up for starting now and then continuing later in structured literacy. So I never, ever thought I would do therapy by video, but Never say. Here never. We are.
1: <laughs> yeah. As you were talking about early about your, your commute and that you were servicing people an hour away. And now the commute is really as quickly as you can fire up Zoom or whatever platform you're using. So I was sort of curious to know. And I know that you said that you missed your kiddos and being in person with them, but I was sort of curious if there was any of this telepractice that might stay after this whole thing is over.
3: Yeah, I definitely think about it for sure. I mean, my schedule right now is awesome. Like I walk my dog every morning. I close my laptop at 5 p.m. It is like, it's the opposite of my old schedule. But I think like 90% of my caseload when I told them that I'm canceling my in-person services, of course, and I'm moving to telepractice, all of them were like, but when this is over, you're coming back to our house, right? (laughs) So, you know, there's an element of those relationships too. But I mean, for sure, like you said, I mean, there's so many rural areas in Ontario that I know are not serviced privately. Public doesn't usually touch every child the way they need for services. So yeah, so we'll see. I'm I'm now going to never say never on anything because (laughs) I really would have said a year ago, I would never do telepractice. So here we are.
1: Here we are, but I'm so, I'm so excited for you and I love your energy and I love how it sounds like you just are rolling with the punches on this. This has now been a way that you can continue to service more people, service people in your hometown, but maybe service other people and just going with the flow, right? As soon as you're able to get back with those families, you'll be back with those families. But in the meantime, it sounds like it hasn't stopped you at all from continuing with this dream that you started a year ago.
3: Yeah. And I definitely tried to not let it like, I, I think that's another reason when I thought back to opening my own private practice, there's just like, why wait, why wait for anything? Like when I, when I've worked for many people in the past, even outside of speech pathology, sometimes there would be these wonderful ideas brought by like myself or other employees of the companies that I worked with. And I would just be like, let's do this. And there was always, I felt like always this stall, like, well, let's just like think about it or let's just wait. And I was just like, no, like let's do this. So, I mean, within not even, I think I canceled all my in-home services and three days later saw my first telepractice client. Like I was like, let's just figure this out and go. (laughs) Well,
1: and that speaks to what you said earlier about the whole getting your ducks in a row thing. There's some ducks that you have to get in a row first but otherwise, you can get those ducks in a row like while taking action. The ducks can can get in a row like while you're starting. If you wait until every single duck is in that row, some of them are going to lead the line, yes. right? And you're going to have to chase them or something. yeah So um, going. <laughs> or someone might right take up. your ducks. Who might take it? your ducks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So yeah, I think it's really I, I like too what you're kind of just trying to share with the audience that just do it, just get up and mm-hmm. running, and you'll figure it out as time goes on. And if you're thrown a curveball, which we have all been thrown a major curveball right now, you figure out how to pick up the pieces and rebuild and reinvent yourself and figure out what you're going to do next because there, no matter what, there are still people who need your services and you still need the income.
3: Yeah. And it's not as if, I mean, I think so often when we see, especially like social media, we connected a lot through Instagram first, is you see clinicians and it's like, wow, they have like all their stuff together. Like this looks amazing. Like I have definitely made mistakes along the way. But my clients know because I'm very honest with them, that they are my priority and they're extremely important to me. And a mistake is just human error. Like it happens, right? And When you're honest with your clients about where your heart lies and what your passion is, then like maybe your payment went through on the wrong day, or I forgot to send you an email. Those things happen. But if you're doing this, and so many of us do this because we love to support people and help them grow, then those little mistakes aren't, are just that they're just little mistakes they're over with.
1: Yeah, and don't let let the fear of making a little mistake stop you from doing this whole thing.
3: Mm-hmm. I think it was one of your. I had one of your quotes, and I'm gonna I'm gonna misquote you now, Jenna. But up on my wall, when I started, I was like, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna open my own private practice, and literally, that I'm not kidding you guys. The next day, I went and quit my job, and <laughs> it was one of your quotes from one of your business like webinars about like if you don't grow your own dream, you're gonna pay someone to do it for you. Like, right. So like, it's so true. Yeah. It's so cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let me see if I, so I think it's, if you don't build your dreams, someone will hire you to build theirs.
3: Yes, exactly. It's just everything in that perfect quote. I had it on my wall and it always was so motivating. Yeah, you can do so many things
1: in this life and there's plenty of people who never thought that they would end up in private practice. I'm I'm one of those people, right? There's other people who knew from the time they were I don't know, figuring out this career that they wanted to do a business with it, right? And and it doesn't matter which one of those kind of people you are, as long as you take the necessary steps to get up and running and to help people in your community and also help yourself too that's okay. Yeah. But I'm, I'm just, again, I'm so excited and how fun that like, this is on basically your yearish anniversary. We're a little bit past your year anniversary. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. So, is there anything else that you haven't shared that you want to make sure that we include is information for the listeners?
3: Oh, that's so hard. A million things. <laughs> I mean, I think really, if you have it in your heart or in your mind that you want to open a private practice like you said like don't let the fear stop you empower yourself with information like whether that's taking courses webinars reading up on things reading up on things like taxes like if that's what makes you feel like you have the knowledge you need to feel comfortable then just Do it. Like you can do it. Honestly, I have definitely had people, I'm I'm pretty young in the private practice sphere, I would say. I was young going into my masters. And so I'm only about five years out now of my master's. And so like there are definitely times when I get slightly sideways looks, but like you cannot let the fear of something going wrong or someone caring about what you're doing in a negative way to stop you from doing it because there truly are people and families that you end up servicing who without you would not have had the same story than they will with you. And whenever you're feeling those moments of fear, like let that be your drive. Like If you need to draw someone up in your mind that that is who you are doing it for, then that's exactly what should motivate you. Because that's what we all want. All the kids that we work with, whether it's kids or adults or whomever your clients are, That's why we get into this is to help them grow and help them challenge themselves and become stronger communicators. So really to just push yourself and then do not isolate yourself either. So just because you are doing it, what feels like alone, you don't have to be lonely in it. There are so many people out there. I have lots of SLPs who reach out to me who say, you know, I've kind of thought about private practice. They ask me some short question. I'm like, let's hop on a Zoom call. Like, let's have coffee if you're local. Like let's get together and connect because I'm super passionate about what I do. And if there's one tidbit of information that I can give you, that's helpful. I want to do that. And there's lots of people. I mean, that's why I am where I am because of all the people who I asked who said that exact same thing. So yeah, don't do it alone. Like you have so many people around you to support you.
1: What a wonderful take home message for everyone to find your people, find the information that you need. And then just like Becky said, like just just do it and get just in there. Do <laughs> just do it. So where remind we said your your Instagram at the beginning of the episode, but can you tell our listeners where are the best places to connect with you?
3: I would definitely say Instagram is where I'm the most active as far as speech pathology professional-wise. My Instagram is we underscore communicate. So you can definitely find me there and feel free to reach out or DM me. You can also email me. My email is becky at wecommunicateslp.com. Yeah, usually I'm, I'm probably even faster on DMs. So <laughs> hang around and follow the, the journey and then I will get back to you even faster than email. <laughs>
1: I love it. Well, thank you so much for doing this. And also for being our very first Canadian private practitioner that we've had on the show. It was really fun to learn about some of the differences between
3: our countries in terms of business stuff. But yeah, thank you for being a part of the show and for sharing your journey. Well, thank you so much, Jenna. I've really looked up to you through this whole journey and I I honestly can't believe I'm here right now. So it's so cool.
1: (laughs) Oh, well, thank you, Becky. Awesome. All right. Have a good night.
3: You too. Night-night. Isn't Becky amazing?
1: I love her energy. I love how committed she is to her clients. I love how unfazed she was when she had to move from in person services to telepractice because of coronavirus. She's just a a very impressive woman, and I feel like she's part of a new generation of private practitioners, right? I sometimes talk about the new way and the old way to start a private practice. The old way involved waiting until the end of your career and having brick and mortar space and having a bunch of employees and saving a whole bunch of money and waiting, especially a bunch of money and having a lot of overhead. And the new generation of private practitioners are starting earlier. They're starting younger. They're not waiting until the end of their career till they're experts. They're becoming experts as part of their private practice. They're also being a little bit more lean in terms of starting with less overhead. A lot of people are starting by seeing clients in their home. And they're not as afraid of technology when it comes to social media. Becky talked a lot about Instagram. Instagram. Instagram
0: and getting up and running on an EMR and telepractice virtually overnight when
1: that's what happened and the situation changed. So if you're interested in being like Becky, if you want to start your own private practice, head over to startyourprivatepractice.com
0: backslash webinar. I've got a free 60-minute presentation where I go through
1: the ins and outs of starting a private practice. And interestingly enough, Becky was not one of my students, but she followed the exact same strategies that I teach in my course that helps people get up
0: and running quickly.
1: So thank you for listening to this episode. We'll be back
2: next week with another episode. Good luck and have a good week until then. Take care. My name is Jenna Castro-Casbon. I am part of a group of private practitioners who have taken client care into our own hands. We are skilled clinicians who pride ourselves on providing high quality care to our clients and their families. We are fighting against productivity requirements, administrative red tape, and unnecessary restrictions. We started our own private practices to take control of our professional and personal lives, of our schedules, of our incomes, of our future. We work hard for our clients, but on our terms. We believe in helping others, but also helping ourselves. We are not interested in competing with each other because we hope we'll all make it. We are successful private practitioners, and these are our stories.